We're talking about miracles. This time, next time, I was hoping I'd be done, but because what happened this morning, and I went so long because I tend to have problems with length of talking. (laughs) This is diarrhea of the mouth. But we're going to be talking about what miracles look like, how they happen. Last time when we were together, we discussed this very simple notion that God, in Christian thought, created a dimension, the physical dimension. Now, there are people that don't believe he created it, that just think it's here, that it's eternal. Those people that don't think there is a God or isn't involved at all in this seen order of the universe, what do we call them? Or they call themselves atheists. Then there's a group of people that believe that there is a God in the world, but that his only engagement was to create this seen world. And he put in motion laws and principles, things that are just sort of natural, and that he sort of did it and took off, or just isn't involved. What do we call these guys, or what do they call themselves? They're called deists. They believed that God was like the clockmaker who made the clock, and then he's off doing other God things. He's not here. And the only hope we have for anything to be good in the world is by us working the laws, learning and working the principles, and figuring out what's in the natural world. These are the deists. Then there are groups, not necessarily in the Western tradition, they're more in the Eastern tradition, but it's affecting us here in America. They are the ones that believe that God is everywhere, in everything, but only everywhere in everything, only inside the world. That everything that's here is God, that God is in everything. It's called, anybody remember? Pantheism. Pantheism means God in. God in. And these are the people, and the way it's being affected in our world today is the people that love being spiritual. They don't necessarily want to be religious, but they like being spiritual. And they use language like this. I just want to be in touch with my feelings, with your feelings, and with the trees, with the water, and with the bugs. It's this... It's this notion that I want, to, I want to be spiritual, I want to connect. And there's something really right about that. I mean, there's something authentically Christian about that because God, in Christian thought, is in everything, right? But in Christian thought, not only is God in stuff, he's not limited to just in this. Because on this view, there are no miracles because everything just is. Because God is everything, everything's God, God is everything, you're God, I'm God, that's God, bugs are God. Elephants are God. Right? Manatees are the devil. <laughs> but everything else is God. Don't you hate manatees? Poor manatees. All there are is big slugs that float and eat. There's always questions. Why God? Why the manatee? Anyway, I digress. (laughs) But Christian thought says, not just that God is in things, but that God actually is outside of the created universe. That God is outside of the seen world. That he's outside it all. That he's both what theologians would call immanent, which means he's in it, and he's transcendent, which means he's outside. The reason that's so cool is because 
God is in your stuff so he can move stuff around. And thank God he moves stuff around. But when there are places that moving stuff around doesn't fix it, God has more than what's here. He can bring in from another place and create still. He's transcendent around this world. Hence, we as Christian theists believe in miracles. I'm so glad there are a bunch of us in this celebration network that believe in miracles. We believe they still happen. (laughs) Does that make us a little crazy? Of course. From a rational, purely rational mind, they're going to think that's a little crazy. But there's something about this being captured by God on a level that's indescribable that keeps us tethered to this notion that God is bigger than what we see and is engaging with us. Our principal text is out of Second Chronicles. This is a story when one of the kings of Israel is assessing his world. And he's saying, I don't know if I got enough to pull this off. And he's assessing it, figuring things out. And the prophet guy comes to him. And the prophet says to him, you don't just have to figure this out. He says, the man of God answered, the Lord has much more to give you than this. And my question I posed to you last time, I posed to you again. What if that's true for you? What if if you assess your world and you look at what's going on, you see all the stuff that's happening as a single person, as a married person, as a person with a great marriage, as a person with a troubled marriage, as a person that's raising kids, or you don't have kids, whatever situation you find yourself in, as a person who just lost his job, whatever. What if you don't just have to look at your world with just what is? What if you can... Even though it's important to understand the world you're in and the challenges you have. What if on some level this hits you? Wait a minute. The Lord has much more for me than this. This is critical if you want to begin to experience more miracles. And that's, what I'm, that's the currency I'm after. The currency I'm after in this series is to get you to think, what if God cares enough about me to do more than what I see? There's, I know God is sovereign. He does a bunch of stuff. But I love what John Wesley said. He said, some things happen when we pray that don't happen when we don't. <laughs> I like that simple idea. And so I'm trying to encourage that in us. Uh, the, the real import of this is found in one of the texts we read last time in Genesis 1. Right at the very beginning of sacred text, it opens and says, in the beginning, God. And he creates, that's what he does, the heavens, the earth, in other words, the seen universe. Now, this is interesting, the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Now get this, isn't it amazing, isn't it provocative to think that when God creates things, he doesn't just always create them as perfect. That God, it seems, as you study scripture, loves process. He loves to create stuff, but it's not quite done. He loves to begin to start stuff, and yet there's still darkness, there's still formlessness, there's still emptiness, a little, you know, just over the deal that he just created. What if God isn't thrown by our dark places, by our empty places? By the places that that are sort of formless. What if God isn't freaked out that everything isn't just right right now in our lives? But that even when it's formless and dark and even when there's there's emptiness in place, that doesn't mean God's not there with us. That he's actually imminent. That he's actually present. That he's there even when things aren't perfect. See, that's, that's what throws us sometimes. We think, if God was really in my life, 
I wouldn't feel this way. If God was really in my life, my marriage wouldn't be this way. If God was really in my life, I'd be married. If God was really in my life, I wouldn't be married to him. If God was really in my life, I wouldn't have lost his job. If God was really in my life, I would have never had that doctor tell me I've got those cells, those bad cells growing in my my body. If God was really in my life. But the challenge of scripture is to say no matter what you see, no matter what you experience, no matter what's going on, God's in it with you. That's where faith starts. That he's with you. That he's there. And why is he there? We read the next part of the text. There's earth is formless and empty darkness is over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The spirit of God's hovering. Now get this. I told you this to you last time. Remember the word for hovering, what it means? It means brooding. You know, it's like, it's like the hen. The hen broods over the, over the eggs, right? And why does the hen sit there? Is it just lost its mind? No, it sits there because it has a vision. And the vision that the hen has, if you look deep into the eyes of the hen, what do you see? Baby chicks. Right? See, God is hovering over our lives. He is brooding over our dark, empty, formless lives. Why? He's there. Why? Because he's anticipating good. And he loves the process. And what he wants us to do is fall in love with the process. He wants us to be okay that when we pray, we're not just fighting circumstances. We don't just pray because we're afraid of the circumstance. We pray because we know he's with us. We pray because we're trusting that in the context of the circumstances, the Lord has much more for us than this. No matter how long it takes, no matter how many disappointments we have, no matter if we pray and it gets worse, we pray and it gets worse, we pray and it got worse. We don't have to be freaked out about that. We're not praying just because of circumstances. We know that no matter what happens, no matter what the process is, he's with us. That's the heart of faith. Okay. We see this carried throughout the scripture. One of the other verses we looked at last time was Revelations 3.20, Jesus Here I am, he says. This is after the resurrection. He's speaking through John to the church. And and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he says, I will come in and will eat with them and they with me. This is the notion of fellowship. It's not just eating at McDonald's, eating in the ancient world meant all day. (laughs) So he's really saying, Behold, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If you let me in, we'll have a day together. Let me in every day. right? And, And this notion of knocking in the Greek... This is written in Greek, carries a heavier tense than just casual knocking. It carries this notion of pounding. And, and you read the stories. I love one of the Psalms. We won't take time to read it. One of the Psalms in Psalms 18, it talks about the psalmist who's, who's having problems and, and he cries out to the Lord. And the Bible says, when God heard me, he jumped on the cherubim and he rode them into my life. It's like, you know, it's like an old Western, right? <laughs> And Jesus comes and just deals with the deal. And the psalmist says, he picked me up out of those waters that were, you know, completely locking me up. I was stuck. I was stuck. I was legitimately stuck. And nothing I could do could get me out because the waters were too great for me. And he came running and he lifted me up and he put my feet on a place where I would not slip, on spacious ground where I was not stuck because he delighted in me.
you've got to wrestle with this. Are these things, are they possible? What if God's longing for you to catch him in your life? For you to trust him where you're stuck? And even though when you're stuck, the only sense you ever have is that my future will be just like my past. When you're stuck, you think, there's just no way anything's going to change. Why would it change? It never has changed. You're stuck. But the miraculous dawning is when you understand no matter how long you've been stuck, no matter how stuck you are, there is a way out for you. You may not see it for a while. You may have to stay on your tippy toes not to drown for a while. You may have to have friends pull you up so you don't drown for a while. But you don't have to stay stuck. This is the fight of faith that we want to dig into. There are different kinds of miracles that we could talk about in Christian theology. There are numbers iterated. But the three I wanted to focus on today, which I only will focus on one because I'm blathering, <laughs> is this one I just mentioned. It's this notion of imminent, I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T, imminent miracles. These are the miracles that just are. And lots of people don't notice them. A lot of times we just call them natural events. The creation itself is an imminent miracle. Uh, A lot of people don't recognize it as such. Jesus in Matthew 5, he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's a hard verse to hear, isn't it? (laughs) Because we'd rather hate our enemies like they hate us and curse them, right? But Jesus said, no, 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 let's switch this up. You need to be reckless You need to be giving. Why? Because when you are, you show that you're children of your Father in heaven. Because your Father in heaven causes the sun to shine, to rise on who? The evil and who else? The good. He sends rain on who? The righteous and the unrighteous. See, God recklessly, incautiously, blesses the world with sunshine and rain, and we're going to see in a minute, with all kinds of good things. It's this idea that God just blesses without restriction. We call it, in theology, common grace. Everybody say common grace. grace. Interestingly, Jesus says you look most like the Father when you pour common grace on others. When you just are kind, and you're just loving, and, you know, it doesn't mean you don't challenge things, but you just do it because it's best for them, not because it's best for you. Right? And you have this kind of thing about you where you're just incautiously blessing people. And Jesus, when he saw the sun, get this, when Jesus looked at the sun, he didn't think, oh, it's the sun. He thought the Father is shining. When Jesus saw the rain, he didn't think, oh, it's raining. He said, the Father is sending rain. In other words, he saw the miraculous. He saw imminent miracles in the natural order. This, I'm going to suggest to you, is what is absolutely critical if you want to see greater miracles. And I don't mean greater in terms of quality, greater in terms of transcendence, in terms of unusual miracles. I believe we have to buy in first to the notion that God is already present, that he's already brooding, that he's already here, that he's in our stuff that's incomplete, in our stuff that isn't quite right. He's still here. And until we acknowledge him that place... I don't think we can make real good bridges to when he will do extra special outward things. So I think when we entertain the notion, oh my goodness, 
God, you sent the sun. Oh my goodness, God, you sent this rain. I know some of you think the devil sends the rain, but the devil doesn't send the rain. The devil sends snow. This is true. (laughs) Got to call him like you see him. If you practice looking at your world and celebrating the godness behind it, you're thinking like Jesus. You're in good company. Paul picks up on this theme with the pagans. This is a great story. This is in Acts 14, where Paul and Barnabas... They minister to this guy. The guy gets healed. I mean, right there in this city, this pagan city, the guy gets healed. Well, these are all pagan Greek guys and girls. And they're, 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 they worship the Olympian god, Zeus, and you know, all those guys, right? So when this miracle happens, they think, oh, the gods have come down to earth. They think Paul is Hermes, the god Hermes. They think Barnabas is the god Zeus. So they say, the gods, Paul, you know, Hermes and Zeus have come down. And so the, the, the guy that was running the temple, one of the priests from the temple, bring these heifers. And they're coming to sacrifice the animals to Paul and Barnabas, thinking they're gods. Right? So obviously this is a god event. But they are confused. It's a god event that they have misrepresented. It's a God event that they have co-opted into a wrong story. Listen to me, family. People do this all the time. They experience God events, but they misunderstand them. Or they reinterpret them into false stories. They co-opt them into pagan or wrong stories. But they're still God events. So Paul, very interestingly, says to them, he doesn't look at them and say, you filthy pagan scum! How dare you talk about God's miracle into some filthy pagan ritualistic junk burning hell! <laughs> so, he wasn't offended that they didn't get it. See, we get offended when people don't get it. We get offended when people believe other things. We get offended when we run into somebody that has a different view of religious thought. We get offended. We shouldn't get offended. Now, I'm not suggesting that those patterns of thinking are right. Not at all. I believe the gospel. Right? I believe this is right. But I don't get, there's no need for us to get offended because they co-opted God events into false stories. Paul didn't. In fact, look what Paul says. So interesting. He says, Guys, God has not left himself without a testimony in your lives, is what he's saying. You know, he said, you don't don't sacrifice to us, we're just people like you are, is what he started out saying. He said, and God, this God has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness, watch, by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons, right? He, this is all God, these are miracles to Paul. He provides you with plenty of food and watch, he fills your hearts with what? These are pagans. I used to think when I was younger and a Christian, I used to think about other people. I think, I don't understand. How can they be happy? They're not Christians. How can they have a good marriage? They're not Christians. It must be devil marriage. It must be devil happiness. See, I couldn't come to grips with the fact that there are some people full of joy who are not in the faith. Because I thought you could only be happy if you were in the faith. Now, now, don't misunderstand me here. I, I'm not saying that when you... I mean, there is a kind of happiness within the context of Christian faith that's supernatural. Right? But, but, th- what Paul is saying is, you know how 
when you pick up a baby, you get messed with. You know how much fun that is. Do you know how when you when you fall in love and and you wanna you you meet somebody and you think what would my life be like if I spent the rest of my life with them and you vow into that and you commit to one. You know how wonderful that is. You know how what happens when you start laughing with your friends and 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 just something hits you that's funny. You know all those things that are happening. Do you know God gave you those things? Do you know that that's God's capacity in you? Do you know that God's at work in you all the time? What Paul was saying is, God's always working in people. I mean, (laughs) it's such a wonderful thought. God is moving in everyone's life, everywhere in the world, not just when they become Christians. Not just when they sign up for reading the Bible. This is called common grace. Every person on this planet has God working in their lives. They have some kind of a Goldilocks story. They don't know Goldilocks, but they have a Goldilocks story. You remember the story. The bears come home. Somebody's messing with my porch. Somebody's messing with my chair. Somebody's messing with my bed. It isn't until the end of the story they ever meet Goldilocks, right? But Goldilocks was there. See, God messes with people's porch. And they don't know what it is. They think, you know, maybe it's, uh, um, you know, positive thinking, you know, that my porridge got messed with. Well, maybe my porridge got messed. Maybe that's because, you know, I, um, you know, I, I've done more good things than bad. And, and, you know, the yin and the yang or the, you know, whatever. They just come up with stories. Maybe it's because they did the right, whatever. They have these ideas about why the porridge got stirred, why the chair got moved, why the bed was stirred. They don't, most people will never meet God face to face until the end of the story. Like the bears didn't meet Goldilocks. The gospel introduces them at the table to God. The gospel, when it points out, is supposed to help them understand, no, no, this chair is being moved by Goldilocks. Let me introduce you to Goldilocks. It brings it together so they don't have to wait till they die. And when they do, when you do that, it brings salvation into the gospel. is critical. But it starts out first as a decoder ring. Let me explain to you what's going on here. You think I'm Zeus. Me no Zeus. <laughs> I'm man. <laughs> let me let me decode what just happened for you. Let me let me let me reinterpret this for you. See, that's what the gospel does. It acknowledges God's moving, but it helps them not be weird about it in their head. You cannot talk to people without running into God stories, God events, sightings, God sightings. Everyone has them. If they're around for a while, they have them. You'll talk to somebody when you talk to them. Ask them. They'll, they'll tell you stories about, yeah, it was weird. It was like I felt protected. I almost I was crashed into this. And somehow I, I woke up or somehow, I mean, I, it was kind of weird. It was almost like something protected me. Oh, really? See, I think we ought to be, when we get around people, evangelism oughtn't just be us preaching at them, even though there's a message we share. Evangelism ought to be about us turning into little Sherlock Holmes, looking for clues of their messings, of their dealings, right? How many people, you know, you talk to people and they'll, they'll give you times that they'll say when something has happened, it was going along a certain way and it would look horrible, but all of a sudden their, their fortune shifted. And they'll tell you, I don't know what it was. It was something, I'm telling you, something was there. Something changed that. I don't know what it is. I don't get it. Or they say, well, it's because I was positive or whatever they think. But there are God events in people's lives all the time. I love this one. I I, I told them, and you all have God events in your life. I I was talking to my mom. This was just a few years ago. I'd never heard this story. Mark hadn't either. And my mom was talking about how when we were young, we were three of us boys, she was a single mom. You know how hard being a single mom is, single dad is. Those are hard places. 
And so here she is in New York City in the Bronx, single mom in the 50s, no aid. The reason that my natural father abandoned us was because bam, bam, two babies in a row, and then bam, me, and uh, all within three years. And uh, he wanted to have me abort it. My mom said no. And so she goes through with the pregnancy and loses her marriage. She's alone. No public aid in the 50s to speak of. And uh, so you have friends, you have family. Well, she leaned on friends, leaned on family until it wore out. She felt like it wore out. And she got to one particular week and there's no food in the house. You have no food and no money. Rent coming up. No hope of rent. No hope of money. No hope of food. And you've got three children that are crying and hungry. What do you do? Too proud to keep going back to family and friends. She said, it's nothing is changing. And she had read, and this had happened with some degree of regularity, uh, where moms would, you know, like in their homes, would just turn on the gas and go to sleep. And she thought, that's, that's the merciful thing to do. So she would plan to turn on the gas, shut all the windows, Put us to bed, go to sleep, and give us to God, all of us, including herself. As she was contemplating this, getting ready, she thought, oh, I'm not going to, I'm going to make sure the house is spotless, because whatever they say about me, they're not going to say I was a pig. (laughs) Isn't that funny? So she started cleaning the house, getting ready. She cleans the whole house, gets everything spotless. She's working in the bathroom, finishing up, bathtub there, and she's cleaning the floor, She happened to look under the bathtub. It was one of those old bathtubs with the little feet. So she's looking way underneath. I mean, she's doing extra cleaning. So she's looking way underneath there. And way in the back behind one of the things was a little silver shiny thing. See, she reached back to get it and pulled it out. It was a can of soup. She said, I don't know why that can of soup, why it hit me that way. She said, it was like I had a hope. It's like hope came into my life and stopped that plan. Within just a few weeks, she takes one of us in, we're sick, to one of the local hospitals, and this young intern by the name of Dr. Bari Gunger took care of us. And as he was taking care of us, he noticed my mother and asked her out. The rest is history. See, I think that's a God sighting. Well, somebody say, well, that's just a coincidence. It was, it was Albert Einstein who said that coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. <laughs> See, what if coincidences happen more when we pray? What if coincidences happen more when we acknowledge the ways God's already moving in our lives? This is the root. See, according to the Bible, God loves to do eminent miracles. He loves to mess with porridges, chairs, and beds. He loves it. And, it, it. and you read it throughout the scripture. This time Jacob had this night where he's being messed with all night. He's thinking he's just dreaming. And when he wakes up in the morning, he goes, oh, I wasn't just dreaming. Something else was going on. He had this aha moment. And he says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely... The Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. 
I'm suggesting to you right now, in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your strain, in the midst of your stuckness, God is there and most of us are not aware of it. I'm suggesting to you that everyone you work with, everyone in your neighborhood, everyone that's a Viking fan, I mean everyone. (laughs) God is working in their lives. And our first impulse about people oughtn't to be, well, what do you believe? Our first impulse ought to be, I wonder what God's doing in their lives. I wonder if they've caught the God sightings. I wonder what's really going on and if I can help them interpret. Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he's walking with these guys. Am I out of time, really? Well, you know, praise the Lord. How many will give me three more minutes? Three minutes. Three, six, nine, twelve. I got twelve. Fifteen minutes now. <laughs> Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with these guys. I won't take that long. I'm just kidding. Uh, and, and they're about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're talking to each other about everything that happened. And, and it says that Jesus came up and walked along with them. This is in the Bible. And it says, but they were kept from recognizing him. I remember reading this years ago and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I do that to people all the time. I remember, I just got, got me in a confusion. Listen, God isn't always interested in clearing things up for you. Sometimes he just loves to confuse you. Just you're going. There's something in that that actually is healthy for you. You're not omniscient. And I said, why would you not show yourself? I mean, isn't that the point? Everybody sees you. But listen, he prevents himself from right. God in your life right now is working in your life, but he's also preventing you from seeing him. Why would he do that? Because he made up the hide-and-seek game. (laughs) Over and over and over, dozens of, literally, dozens of times in the Bible, seek me, seek my face, seek me. Hey, seek me, keep seeking me. Why? Because he's hiding. (laughs) (laughs) Ta-da! Look at this text, Isaiah 45. Truly, you are a God who has been, what? Who hides himself. This is what God does. I'm simply suggesting to you this morning that somehow what we're trying to do with people is encourage them to be open to discovering God in their lives and that we should nudge them that way. That's what I love about evangelism. I'll never forget uh, when we were pastoring in Marshall, this idea started to hit me. And I remember wanting to encourage faith in everyone. I wanted everybody to come to our church, but not everybody wanted to come to our church. Surprise. (laughs) Right? I realized after a while, they're not resistant to the gospel. They're resistant to me. (laughs) Right? And so when I talked to Lutherans, I talked to Roman Catholics, I thought, I got to quit making it us them. I got to quit making it so, well now, you know, unless you, you're so lucky to have me here. Because now that I'm here, the Lord Jesus Christ can come in contact with you. But before I was here, he wasn't anywhere near you, you pagan <laughs> slug. That's not true. God's at work in everybody's life, right? I just, I started thinking, okay, I got to help decode this. So I would, I would tell, for instance, Roman Catholics I'd run into, I'd try to encourage their faith. They wouldn't necessarily come to my church. So I'd say, listen, what's going on in your faith? What's going on in your life? What do you mean? What's going on? I mean, are you growing in your faith? Oh, I just go to church. Well, yeah, but what happens? Nothing. I said, man, listen, 
you have got this huge chunk of something that you can experience. I said, do you go to communion? Yes. What happens to communion? What are you doing when you go to communion? Oh, we're receiving the body of Christ. Yes. Think about that. You're taking in the body of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. What if you went to communion next time and instead of just doing it emptily, mindlessly, what if in your mind you open up and said, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, come in to my life. And what if you didn't just think about absorbing the body? What if you, in the meal, what if you started thinking about me being absorbed, you being absorbed into the meal? What if you let this be something more? They kind of look at me quizzically. But I'd run into numbers of those people that I had those conversations with and they'd look at me bright-eyed and say, oh my gosh, my life has changed. I did just what you said. I went to the altar. I received communion and my life was changed. Somehow something changed inside me. Yay, God! Decode, decode, decode. So you push them to the gospel. See, everybody experiences God, but they don't know him. And it isn't until they know him, it isn't until they meet Goldilocks that they actually get saved. We need this message to people, right? Well, last story. Stand up so you think I'm done. It's a, it's a preacher trick. See, aren't you glad I'm done? Okay, one more story. You'll like this one. Atheist. Not atheist, agnostic. Neurosurgeon, Marshall, Wisconsin. They're full of doctors. He's leaving town. I met him in the process of him actually moving. In a conversation, he says, I don't believe in God. He said, I don't not believe in God, but I don't, you know, it doesn't matter to me. I'm a scientist. I said, listen, listen, Doc. I said, I'm telling you, I didn't use this language, but I basically said, I'm telling you, some, there's been things messing with your porch. There's stuff in your life that you cannot really figure out why it's there. I said, is there any place you go, for instance, I said, where you ever feel peace that's unusual, transcendent, like otherworldly, any place in your life, like looking at a baby or going for hikes or something? He said, oh, yeah, I go hiking. He says, sometimes I'll come by a river or I'll come by a beautiful canyon and I'll feel this sense of awe, like something. He said, but that's just nature. I said, what if it's not just nature? I said, what if that's Jesus? And I smiled at him. He looked at me, he shook his head and laughed, you know. I said, listen, I double-dog dare you. Next time you're out hiking, and if you even think of what I'm saying to you, when you sense that awe, talk to it. Literally. I said, just ask it. Are you Jesus? He laughed again. Well, we ended the conversation, and uh, two months later, I get a letter in the mail. He had moved out to the West Coast. He's up in Seattle. He was out hiking. He said, I walked across. We were out together with a number of people. And I was hiking across. As I came across this corner, I saw the most beautiful valley I'd ever seen. It just hit me, literally hit me, the awe. And I remembered our conversation. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Right? Right? Okay, watch. He said, I was it under my breath because I was with all these people. He said, are you Jesus? And he said, it answered me. And then his next sentence was, what do I do now? God is alive and he's moving in people's lives that don't come to this church. But they're not, they haven't met Goldilocks. They're still lost. But how we reach them is what I'm talking about. Let's be a community. Let's be a network of communities 
that actually respect and all the fact that God's at work, help people find it, and then lead them to Jesus now. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm going to invite the ushers if they would go ahead and come as we just prepare for communion this morning. God is hovering here today. His presence is here. And He's here this morning to touch your life as well. In just a few moments, we're going to share communion together. We're going to take a wafer bread that represents the body of Christ, cup, grape juice, wine in it that represents the blood of Jesus. And what we're doing is remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross when he died and gave his life so that we may be forgiven of our sins. Paid the price for us. But before we do that, I'm going to lead us all in a simple prayer. And this prayer will just be a, a, a prayer that giving you an opportunity to pray this prayer with me. And someone here this morning, as they pray that prayer, as they pray from their heart, we often use that word, praying it from your heart. What does that kind of, what does that mean? Well, you know, it's important for us to pray together because it's, it, it helps someone who's maybe a little nervous in praying it. But the fact is that as we pray this prayer, if you're praying for the very first time, it's more than just going through the actions, going through the words. It's experiencing a miracle. Experiencing the miracle that we talked a little bit about today. Allowing God to come into your life and forgive, allow your sins to be forgiven, changed, being born again. So I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads with me. If you just repeat these words after me this morning. And again, if you're praying it this morning for the first time, from your heart, knowing that God is hovering over your life, allowing your life to be changed from darkness into light. So if you just repeat these words after me this morning, say, Dear Lord Jesus, Something in my heart tells me I need you. I now confess my sin and repent of my sin. And by faith, ask you to come into my life as my Savior and my Lord. If you just keep your heads bowed just for a moment longer. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want to just encourage you. If you prayed it for the very first time this morning, and you sensing in your in your life that something has changed, something has happened. You've had a God sighting, a God change. God is doing something, a redemptive miracle in your life. Would you just look up at me just for a moment? Have you prayed that prayer this morning? Thank you, thank you. A number of you are looking here this morning. Father, we thank you for those that have taken hold and reached out and taken hold and have prayed that prayer and are experiencing you in a new way in their lives. Father, we just pray your blessing over them. And as we together now as a community partake of communion, being reminded of what you did for us, examining our lives as well, that we may continue to experience miracle of you working and hovering in our lives and touching our lives as well, even as we partake of communion today. We pray it in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen.